Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. The scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has yet to come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would grow closer to you, know you more, and hear your word through your servant and savior, through your son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So... Uh, As I preached last week, we kind of had an intro to the Gospel of John, and we used the prologue to really give us an understanding of what the Gospel of John seeks to tell us, seeks to convey to us, seeks to help us understand. And, And when we think about the Gospel of John, and we think about it in the scope of the life of Jesus Christ... Uh, we see that it's a very interesting read. It, it doesn't look like, it doesn't read like the other Gospels. And, and there's a very important reason for that. You see, the Gospel of John, uh, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what are known as the synoptic Gospels. They follow some type of chronological order of Jesus' life, each one of them having some kind of birth narrative, except, actually except for Mark. Mark does not have a birth narrative. But each of them starting in the early periods of Jesus' life, each of them having some sort of calling of the disciples, each of them having stories of Jesus' ministry as he journeys through Galilee and journeys to Jerusalem, and then culminating with Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. Now, you may look at the Gospel of John and see like, oh, it looks like it's in order. But when we look at some of the events that take place, we don't often see the exact chronological order that we may see in other Gospels. 
Some of the events seem to be out of order. And that's because we believe that the gospel writer here in John is trying to convey a message as they are writing this gospel, as they're writing this, this theology, as they're trying to help folks to understand. We remember that these gospels, they came about to help folks in the early times of the way to understand who this man Jesus was, right? You had these people who experienced the ministry of Jesus, and they were seeking to tell these stories. In fact, Gospel of John being one of the earlier accounts of Jesus' life that started to circulate around the entire empire, actually. Whereas you see Matthew, Mark, and Luke only circulate in certain sectors, certain regions, certain areas of the Roman Empire. John was known far and wide. And this plays a role because the Gospel of John becomes very important for how the early church begins to view the human that is Jesus Christ. And to begin to understand both the humanity and the divinity of who Christ is. And this is why we hear in John, like I mentioned last week, the purpose behind this writing was, as John says, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Right? I, I spoke to that last week and we began to understand that nature as Jesus begins to be revealed in the first chapter. But you see, John does something else that's really interesting. John does not use the same language that the other Gospels use. And this becomes very important. You see, John uses signs, not miracles. This is a, a, a theological development that's happened within the last 150 years. As we've unpacked more manuscripts from this period, from this era in which John is writing, from the Greek translations that we have received, that this word in Greek, simeon, appears to not mean miracle per se, but sign. And this becomes important for us because in our modern understanding of English, a sign is something that points the viewers to something that is ahead. Right? We see a stop sign, and that points us to an intersection that might be dangerous if we just blow through it 40 miles an hour. Right? Sometimes we see the, the pictures of, of the children playing in the school bus, and that warns us that there is a bus stop in our neighborhood. Or we see those signs that say school zone, that let us know that there's a school somewhere in the area. Or we see the sign over at the corner of Driver and Bennett's Pasture that says Beach Grove United Methodist Church, letting people know that somewhere in this area there is a church called Beach Grove United Methodist. And if they come into this little town of Driver, there's this beautiful white building. Right, A sign points its viewers to something that is beyond the sign. And so too do we see in the life of Christ and in these signs that John offers to us something about Jesus that points us to something that is greater than Jesus. Namely, pointing us to this manner in nature in which Jesus, he's not just a human, but he is more. And so John recounts these seven actions in the first part of the book. Remember I said that last week, the first part of John is known as the book of signs. And so there are these seven actions in the first half of John that point us to this nature of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as Lord of all. 
pointing us to a nature of God that is revealed through these actions of Jesus Christ. The other interesting thing about the Gospel of John is that there is no kingdom language in the Gospel of John, whereas in many of the other Gospels we get kingdom or reign of God. We don't get that in John because John, instead of using that language, decides he's going to show that language. Right? And in fact, the word grace is only used four times in the Gospel of John, and we heard all four times last week. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And so rather than constantly referring to these, these ideas, the gospel writer offers these signs. And the first of which, the signs that we see, was offered before us this morning in our scripture reading, read so beautifully for us, as we see Jesus at a wedding in Cana, changing water into wine. And we see something, John, John also gets very interesting because he doesn't call them all signs. He labels some of them signs, but this is one where we see that John says, and this was the first sign of Jesus right there in verse 11. And so as we begin to look and see and we begin to unpack, we, we ask ourselves, what do we learn from this sign? What do we learn both about Jesus and in knowing about Jesus, what is then revealed about God? And so as we look at this sign, as we read these verses and look at what is happening, it is this sign of the abundance of the kingdom of God, the abundance of God's grace. Right? While we don't see this language there, while we don't hear kingdom of God, while we don't hear salvation, while we don't hear grace in the story itself, much like the parables we hear in other portions of Jesus' ministry, there is actually more under the surface than there is right on top. As my, one of my Bible teachers in seminary said, sometimes you have to read the white between the black as we seek to understand what is happening in the Bible. And so we see it presented in both of these understandings of salvation, both the present understanding of the salvation we receive in our justification and then the future promise of salvation that we receive as we continue to grow and learn more about God's grace. And it becomes clear in this first sign that it is about abundance. It is about both quantity and quality of the abundance that we receive because both of which are more than we could ever imagine. <clears throat> and we see the way in which Jesus' ministry and presence is expressed and this leads into an understanding that we receive of the kingdom here in the Gospel of John. And so we see what is happening here in this passage, right? Jesus is at a wedding. Jesus is merely an, in, an invitee to this wedding, Right? Maybe this is a childhood family friend, and, and they have uh, come back to, to just enjoy themselves. Right? And we see even more so that, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is present at this wedding. So it appears to be a family affair. Jesus also has his disciples with him because by this time they are just following him everywhere as, a, as, a, as any disciple would do with any rabbi in, the early, in, the, in this biblical period. And the wedding has occurred, and now they're having the wedding reception, if we're going to think about it in modern-day terms. And they tried to have an open bar. But sometimes what happens when you have an open bar is you don't plan well enough. Right? Anybody ever been to a wedding like that? They didn't plan well enough. Maybe they ran out of, maybe they ran out of drinks and you had to start drinking water. Probably might have been for the best for some, time, for some people. And so they ran out of wine, and they had nothing left to drink. And, and Jesus' mother, I, we, we never hear the role that she's playing in this wedding, but she is frantic trying to figure this, this situation out. 
And she goes to Jesus and tells Jesus they've run out of wine. And Jesus is like, okay, like, why is that my problem? <clears throat> Mother, I'm just trying to enjoy this wedding. And then because, you know, mothers are smart, right? They're wise beyond their years. Right? Mary doesn't tell Jesus you're going to do it. Instead, she just goes to the servants and says, look, you listen to him. Listen to him. And he's going to tell you what to do. We're going to fix this problem. Now, we don't get the, what Jesus' reaction to this is. But we kind of, we, we, we like to understand that maybe it's like Jesus is like, okay, like, we'll do this. And let me show these people and help them to understand who I am. And so we're told that there are six jars that are used for water for the ritual of purification. We are told that each of these jars holds about uh, 20 to 30 gallons of water. Now, I'd like to remind you that they have already been drinking wine during this wedding. Sarah wanted me to remind you all of that as we were talking about this. They've already been drinking wine for a while. So each of these six containers holds about 20 to 30 gallons of water, which means that completely full, we're talking about, and yes, I have done the math. Yes, I needed to use a calculator because I'm terrible at math, but that's about 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Now, if we convert that into a standard bottle, which is about 25 to 26 ounces, yes, that's right, again, I, I used the Google, that's about 900 bottles of wine. Now, again, I, I, I like to bring you all of the facts, so I went to wedding websites, and now Google thinks I'm getting married. <laughs> again. And I was like, well, I wonder how much wine, how many bottles of wine they suggest for a, a typical open bar at a wedding. So if you have about 150 guests, the standard rule of thumb, now this is thinking if you're offering wine, liquor, and beer, is about 110 bottles of wine. So that's if you're also offering you know, the other types of alcoholic drinks, because not everybody drinks wine. So let's just pretend for a second that we're only drinking wine at this wedding. So let's kind of round up and say we probably need about 250 bottles of wine if wine is the only thing that we're going to be drinking. Um, again, I want to remind you they've already been drinking for a while and Jesus produces about 900 bottles of wine. Now you're probably wondering like, Pastor, why are you telling us this? It sounds like you're just like enjoying Googling things. I am and I do. Because I have ADHD and it gets me through the day. But also, let's think about it this way. Let's think about it this way. Jesus made more than enough wine. Right? That's very clear. They were probably drinking wine for weeks and weeks on end after this wedding. I mean, if they finished it that night, God bless that entire group of people. <laughs> there was an overabundance of what Jesus was offering to the people. An overabundance of wine that Jesus had been asked to produce. And you know what the cool thing about that is? The quantity of God's grace never ends either. Right? The quantity of God's grace is more than we could ever imagine. Right? We come to a party, we come into God's presence expecting 100 bottles of wine and we leave with 900. The abundance that is offered in this scenario, in the six jars of wine, 
is more than anybody could have ever imagined. And so when we think about our lives, when the wine has run out, in the metaphorical sense, friends, in the metaphorical sense, God is there to provide for us. And God is not just going to put enough grace for you to get to the next day. No. God is going to give you enough grace to continue to go forward. It's always there. And then here's the other cool thing that we learn in this story, because not only is it about quantity, right? Not only is it the fact that Jesus made six jars of wine, but what happens when this wine gets taken to the bridegroom and he tastes it? The bridegroom begins to go on and say, this is the best wine, right? Many people will, save, will have the best wine at the beginning of the wedding because people get too drunk during the wedding to really notice the quality of the wine by the time you get to the end, right? You put out the good alcohol for, first and then you hold the bad, the, the less quality alcohol for later so that when people are drunk, they don't notice a difference. But you see, that's not how it works for Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't do a job halfway. Jesus full sends everything. And for Jesus, it was not just about the quantity of wine that was created, but it was about the quality. Because Jesus knows that in the kingdom of God, it is not just about the quantity. It is not just about the overabundance of God's grace that we receive in our lives, but it is the quality of grace. You see, this is no cheap grace that God offers to us. This is grace that is deep, passionate, compassionate, empathetic, loving, it is everything that we could ever wish grace or love to be. And I stand firm on this. No one in this world, no one on this earth, I don't care who they are, loves you more than God. Now, they can get close. They can get close. I know my wife loves me more than a lot of things, but I know that God also loves me more. It's just the way that God works. And we see in this, it is not just about the quantity of God's grace, but it is about the quality of God, God's grace. It is not just about the quantity that we receive in God's kingdom. It is about the quality. This is the best thing that we receive in our lives. And the quality is as great as the quantity. Grace upon grace, building in our lives all throughout. And you see, when the people in this wedding trust who Jesus is, when we see the servants going fully in, with what Jesus is asking them to do. There's, there's a bit of wisdom in Mary asking the servants to do whatever he says. Because they know in doing whatever he says, Jesus will offer more than they could have ever imagined. Jesus will offer 180 gallons of wine, and it will not just be any wine, but it will be the best wine. It will be a five-star wine. I don't know if that's how we qualify wine. It'll be an A-plus wine. The best thing that they've ever tasted, and so too in our lives. As we go and we, live, and we live about, when we recognize the love of God that is there within us, it's not just an ounce. It's not even just a gallon. But it is an overabundance. It, it overflows from us. And friends, it's the best thing that we could ever receive. Because we recognize that when it comes from God, it comes in both a qualitative and a quantitative matter that is far beyond anything we could have ever imagined. When we reside in those pits of despair, we move ourselves to recognize what God is doing. 
it is the abundance of God's love and grace that will help us. It is God climbing down in that pit with us and saying, give me your soul and I will fill it. Right? How are we experiencing God's abundance? How are we reminded of God's abundance when life is difficult? As we look at this sign, as we unpack and understand it, how is God turning that water into wine for you? How is God turning that grief and despair into grace for you? How is God working in your life as a manner of abundance? Amen.